The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Can anybody remember their first job? That first, I mean, I don't know what age you might have, I'm guessing probably somewhere between, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, somewhere up to maybe 14 or 15, first job. I can remember mine. I, uh, my grandfather, his old home place was in, up in Lexington, and uh, the house on the corner, he, he sold the house and looked like an acre of land right there because uh, he had moved and he, all his brothers had passed. Of course, his father had passed long ago, and uh, the house was vacant. So he sold that house, and uh, some folks, at, uh, a lawyer up in Lexington uh, went to church with some folks we knew, and they were going to put a, they were going to kind of, re, not renovate, but remodel the house and up, update it and make the law office in the house there right in town, and so they did that, and it's right near where I lived, and so I got a part-time job after school working at this law office, just, you know, I was just a gopher, that's all I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything, so I just make copies and file stuff and just, you know, just kind of get, get a little bit of work, a little bit of money, and so I started this job, well, I got... I think I had maybe ADD before that was a thing, and so they didn't call it that, but I got distracted easily, and I got bored, because I mean, I'm just, I'm not even answering the phone, I'm just like making copies, and here, go put that in that file, you know, it's just, you know, anybody could have done it, I didn't have any special skills, so, but I'm doing this job, and I'm getting bored, and I, I think one afternoon, I thought I was on the phone, I picked up the phone and just called one of my friends, basically telling him how bored I was. And, well, about that time is when the the main lawyer just happened to walk down the hall and saw me sitting in there on the phone, and I got in trouble, uh, bad trouble. And But here's what I want you to know about this story that, that sticks it in my memory not that that was my first job. It's not that that was my great-grandfather's old house. It wasn't that, you know, I was only 15 or... It, it, none of those things. Here's what I remember. I remember when that lawyer, you know, I hung up the phone. He called me in his office and sat me down and started fussing at me for not doing my job, not doing what I was supposed to do. But he, he said something to me that day First of all, I didn't know it, so it came as a shock. But second of all, I mean, it kind of hurt my feelings. I, I was wrong, but I was getting in trouble. I didn't like to get in trouble. And so uh, here's what he said. In the midst of fussing at me about not doing what I was supposed to do and not staying on task, he said, your daddy got you this job, but you got to keep it. And let me tell you why that impacted me so much. One reason is I didn't know that my daddy had anything to do with me getting that job. He encouraged me to go and inquire, did, could they use a couple of hours of part-time 
office work in the afternoons. Little did I know, he had already kind of set that up. Like, he, he, he had teed it up for me, you know, nice, you know. So, I didn't know that. But here, here's the impact it made on me and why that's relevant to what we're going to talk about today. My father had given me a gift that I didn't know anything about. And when I discovered under those circumstances, when I had done something wrong, and I discovered what my father had done for me, it made me feel a whole lot worse about not doing what I was supposed to do. Because it wasn't just me then. I had offended my father and what he had done for me even though I didn't know he had done it for me. Are you tracking with me? You understand what I'm saying? So today, the, the main focus of what we're trying to really come to grips with and make sure we don't miss, our Father has done some things for us. And sometimes we don't realize what He's done. And so we're just kind of off on our own little path, doing our own little thing, and not doing what's right many times. And when we realize that Daddy's kind of helped us out more than we know, that ought to get our attention. It ought to make us reevaluate maybe what we're doing and, and why we're doing it and how we're going through life. You understand? So before we read the scripture, before we get into the study, I got a, another short video for you uh, about this rescue. In the very beginning of sin's entrance into the world in Genesis chapter 3, even in the depth of the infinite offense that was, we see the grace and the mercy of God as he made a promise to Adam and Eve on that day that he would bring about redemption, recreation, that he would draw man back to himself, even though we in our sin deserve separation from God forever, that he would take the gracious initiative to bring us back to himself. That begins a whole story where God calls out a people for himself. And he says, I'm going to show my grace and my mercy to you as a people. And you are going to be a demonstration of my grace and mercy to all peoples. You are going to be a special people that is commissioned to show my glory to all nations. And so he does that. He calls out a people. They're known as the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And he enters into a relationship with them, covenant with him, where it's almost like a marriage where he commits himself to them and they commit themselves to him. And yet we see over and over again, even despite God's faithfulness toward them, the people of God again and again turning their backs on him, rebelling against him over and over and over again. God, in his great mercy and compassion, never failing love, continuing to pursue his people, sending prophets to his people, people who would come bringing good news of God's grace and mercy, serious news about God's judgment against sin, but news of how God desires to forgive them and restore them to himself. But creation would take these prophets and 
would stone them, saw them in half, and persecute them, and reject their message. Still, though, they told of a day that was coming when God himself would come to his creation. All of that makes up the Old Testament in the Bible, setting the stage for God to commit the ultimate act of condescension and to take on a robe of human flesh. And Christ comes to the earth, fully God and fully man, uniquely able to reconcile man to God. And he comes to his creation. He shows the life of the divine in front of us on a day-by-day basis, healing and caring for and bringing good news of God's love. And creation takes God himself in the flesh and mocks him and beats him and scourges him and spits upon him and nails him to a Roman cross. And our creator God says to every single one of us and every single person in all of history, Despite your unfaithfulness toward me, if you will simply believe in my love and my grace and my mercy shown to you and trust in the salvation I bring you through what Jesus does on the cross, then I will reconcile you to myself. What Jesus did on that cross is he satisfied the payment for our sin, the wrath of God that was due our sin, Christ took upon himself in our place. One preacher said it's like you and I were standing in front of a dam 10,000 miles high and 10,000 miles wide, filled to the brim with water. In an instant, that dam was let loose and all of that water came rushing as a torrent toward us. And right before it was about to overtake us, the ground in front of us opened up and swallowed up every drop of that water. In the same way, Jesus on the cross took the full wrath, infinitely holy judgment of God due our sin upon himself. He drank down every last drop, turned that cup over and cried out, it is finished. He satisfied God's wrath that's due us and as a result made the way Bible says he made him who had no sin to be sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God by trusting in him through faith alone. We might be reconciled to God and now able to fulfill the purpose for which we were created to know God intimately and to glorify God fully with our lives. This is the glorious picture of redemption that we have in Christ. That's a pretty vivid picture if you think of the illustration that David Platt just used, if you can imagine standing in front of a a dam that's 10,000 miles high and 10,000 miles wide filled with water and you're standing below it and it's on its way, it breaks loose and comes at you. That's the judgment of God that we deserve for our sin. And that ground opens up and diverts all of that and swallows it up. That's what Jesus did. It's pretty amazing. It's kind of a big deal. So today we're going to look at a, a passage of scripture that's often overlooked when it comes to Christmas time because it's not in one of the four gospels. It's not talking about the birth of Christ, but yet it is. Galatians chapter 4. And I'm actually going to back up with just a few verses to the end of chapter 3 to kind of get a little context reading into this passage. So I'm going to start at Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, and read through 
into chapter 4 to our passage today, Galatians 4, 1 through 7. So if you would follow along with me uh, as I read from God's Word. Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are the seed of Abraham, heirs according to promise. Now here's chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he's the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So also we... While we were children, were held in bondage under the elementary things of the Lord of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you're sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you will take your word, give us understanding, help us to obey. When we see what you want us to know and what you want us to do, Lord, I pray We'll take it to heart and we'll be obedient to it. Be glorified in your word today, Lord, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now just as a way of a summary, that first part there that I read in chapter 3 of Galatians says very clearly, what do we have to do to be in this family of God? How, how does that happen? What do we have to know or learn or do or say if we want to be in God's family, well, it was on that video from David Platt. It's in the scripture. It's very clear. Here's the answer. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. Faith in Jesus Christ. Believing, trusting in what Jesus did for us in our place. Trusting in that act and that person, Christ, alone. That's how we are entered into God's family. And there's an important verse I want to mention before we get into our text. When you see in Galatians 3, verse 28, right at the end of that chapter, before we get to our focus text for today, there's this verse that seems kind of odd, but it's so important. Verse 28 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? It's real simple. Anybody can get saved. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter in this culture if you were 
uh, liberated and free or if you were under bondage to, to a master. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. What it means is the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody. Everybody. You are all one in Christ. In other words, when you walk up to the cross, the ground is level. There's no partiality, there's no favoritism, there's nobody gets to cut in front of the line because of who they know or what they have or what they've done. Everybody is on the same ground at the cross. That's a good, that's a good thing, that's good news. Okay, so that's, that's where we go leading into today's passage. And very simply, seeing the difference between the law and the gospel. And here's, here's the age-old question. This, Wednesday night I mentioned something to, to those that were uh, in attendance. Something that God showed me this week that I hadn't seen ever. I've read this scripture hundreds of times. I've studied it. I've taught it. And yet, for some reason, the light bulb went on this week. That happens, you know. By the way, that's more uh, motivation to read the Bible because you never know what God's going to show you. It's new all the time. But, you know, we've been talking about this big story. We started at the beginning with creation, and then we went to the fall and what, happened, what our problem, you know, how our problem came about. And then now we're at this rescue Act 3 of the big play and, and the redemption of mankind through Christ and how God did that. But here's what occurred to me. I'm reading this week and studying, getting ready for today. You know what question God asked of Adam and Eve after they sinned? The very first question. He asked them several questions. I mean, the very first question God asked Adam and Eve, it's in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. And the reason why this one question is so important is because God's been asking that same question to every single human being that's ever lived. Where are you? Can you imagine the picture that that should paint for us? Because Adam and Eve had done wrong. They had disobeyed God. What they did put us in the predicament where we needed to be rescued. Okay? Had they not done that, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. God shows up. And if you look at verse 8 in Genesis, just, you don't have to look there, just listen to what I'm telling you. Genesis 3, 8, you can go back and, and read it this afternoon. Adam and Eve, they had just sinned. Just sin. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And what did they do? Ran and hid. They were afraid. And the first thing God says when he shows up, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And the reason why that question is so profound to me is because Every single, and put yourself in this position. Put yourself in Adam's shoes or Eve's shoes. You've sinned. You've rebelled against God. You've disobeyed. You've broken fellowship. You need to be restored. You need to be forgiven. You need to be reconciled. You can't do it on your own. 
And instead of just leaving you out there on some wild treasure hunt, hoping you find the destination, you know what God does? He's walking. He's looking for you. And He's calling out, Where are you? Where are you? You need to come back home. I know you've done wrong. I know you feel bad. You ought to. But I am the only one who can give you what you need. And that is grace, mercy, forgiveness. You know what happens when one of our children disobeys and does wrong? They know. They know they've done wrong. Where do they not want to be? They don't want to be around me or their mama. They want to go run and hide in another room. What do we do when we disobey and rebel, sin against God? We don't want to, we don't want to be around our Christian friends. We don't want to be around our church family. We go run and hide because we're afraid because you know what the Bible says? In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight, but everything is open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. That's scary. Hide all you want. God sees. He sees you. He created you. He knows you. He loves you. He calls out, where are you? Where are you? Why are you hiding? He's he's like the, the, the father of the prodigal son. Come home. He's looking out on the horizon, waiting. Come home. I got what you need. And by the way, it's not going to be near as bad as you think it will be. It never is. That's your conviction. That's your guilt painting a picture of the unknown. What, what, how bad is the punishment going to be? Oh, I don't want to go. Well, maybe if I just don't go back, then I won't ever have to know what the punishment's going to be. And it's never as bad as you dream it to be. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, paint this clear picture for us that God had a plan all along. He talks about a, a, a child... Uh, um, a beneficiary, so to speak, uh, uh, an heir of an estate or a, an empire, and then you have a slave. Child. I mean, as long as they're children, there's no real difference. So look at the text. Look at, look at what the text says. As long as the heir is a child, he doesn't differ at all from a slave, although he's owner of everything. So what this picture paints in a human example of a child with an inheritance, a minor child who has this fortune waiting on them, no power over it until they become of age. So what happens until they grow up? they got a guardian. they got somebody to kind of watch it for them. I think about this. My, um, my oldest nephew, he's, uh, he's uh, actually graduated college now, and he's in a, you know, like an international business um, program. He's actually in China right now, uh, has been for several months, studying over there for his master's. And uh, he had... You know, my, uh, he's got this uh, education account 
that was set up for him to help him with his college expenses. And so he was the oldest, so he was the first one to get to that age where he could use that for school and everything. And so he's got, uh, until he got to be 18 years old, he had to have somebody to watch over that, make sure that investment was, uh, was safe and was growing. And so my dad, who was 40 years plus in the banking business and knows a lot about investment, he was the um, appointed guardian over it to kind of watch over it and you know, help it to grow as much as it could until he had to start using it for school. And, and so, but what, here's what happened, though. Once he turned 18, they had to go up to the, to the bank and sign some papers because guess what? Now he's got full access to it, and he's got to be able to manage it and handle it for himself. He's got to take some responsibility. So in, in, this, in this example here in the Scripture, as long as the heir and the slave are, are children, there's no real practical difference because the child is under the authority of guardians until he's old enough to make his decisions for himself, and that time is already predetermined by the father of the child. So here's why that's important. What happened in the garden changed everything about how we relate to God. This difference between, you see it on the screen, it says the law versus the gospel. Why on earth did God have to give us the law? It's a pretty intricate process, but if you think about why we have the law, what happened in the garden? Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed, right? So here's what happened. They didn't realize how good they had it until they lost it. Why is there a, a song, you don't know what you got till it's gone? Why is that even a thing? Because it's the truth. Adam and Eve were in paradise. They had one stipulation. There's one tree. You got everything else in all creation. You, free reign. Don't touch that one tree. Don't eat that, that fruit. One thing. But that, that wasn't good enough. Okay? So they didn't realize how good they had it. They didn't realize the situation they were in. But here's the real foundational thing that happened in the garden. They didn't realize how desperately they needed God. Forget about the possessions, the position, the fellowship, the peace, the harmony, perfection everywhere. Forget about that. You know what they had that they didn't realize they had, that they lost in the fall? They lost the relationship with God. Forget about, I've got access, free access and, and uh, stewardship over all creation. Picture that. I have no needs. I have no wants. I have perfect peace and harmony. Sounds pretty good, right? But what they had that they damaged, that they could not fix on their own, they lost their relationship with God. You want to know why we got the law? Why this Old Testament is filled with things? This is how you have to relate to God now. You have to go through this mediator, this priest, this high priest, this sacrifice system, all these. You know why? You know why Exodus is filled and Leviticus is filled with all these stipulations and regulations and guidelines? You know why? Try to get to God on your own. 
See how it works for you. Try to fix it without me. Here you go. Here are the rules. Oh, I know you, you had it pretty good in the garden, but no, we're, that's past. We're not in the garden anymore. We're a- outside the garden. Here's the rules now. See if you can handle it. Who can handle it? No one. No one. You want to know why we got the law? See, once Adam and Eve got outside the garden, they didn't understand or appreciate how desperately they needed God. Then the law came along several, you know, hundreds or a couple thousand years later, actually. But they had a new scenario they had to live within. So the law makes us, makes us learn how much we really need God. And the reason why is because nobody can keep the law. See, it's almost like a rigged system. You ever play a game at the state fair? You ever realize that those things are not meant for you to win? They're set up for you to lose. There's a basketball goal up there. I I shot, when I was in high school, I shot 96% from the free throw line. I was automatic. I stayed after practice sitting there just shooting free throws, shooting free throws. If there was ever a technical foul, I'm shooting it every time. Go to the state fair, look, there's a basketball goal about 15, 16, 17 feet away. No problem. Clang, clang. What in the world? Oh, maybe it's because the basketball rim is a little bit tinier. You can't see it from 18 feet away. It looks like it's, well, it's just a basketball. I can do that. I can do it in my sleep. Not at the state fair, you can't. Because it's set up for you not to win. The degree of difficulty is higher and you don't realize it. So here's the application. The law was never given to us so that we could fulfill it. The law was given to us for us to learn the really hard lesson that we can't fulfill it. The law that God gave the people of God was to show them, hey, try as hard as you want to try. You will never get there. You need me. You need my solution. You needed me in the garden and you didn't realize it. You need me now more than you did even then because I've got the only solution for your problem. I'm going to send my son to the earth to take on human form and to live a life that demonstrates what I expected of you in the beginning. To show you how it was supposed to be done. It's going to be free from sin. 100%. And then if that's not enough. After this right in front of you example. Then he's not only going to live for you. Then he's going to go die for you. He's going to take the penalty. And the wrath. And the judgment. That you now deserve. Because of your rebellion. And your disobedience. He's going to take your punishment. So not only is he going to show you the example of what you were supposed to do in life, 
He's then going to take your place in death. So in both areas, he's going to do what you were supposed to do and now what you deserve to do. That's the rescue plan. So when you read through this short passage in Galatians and you start looking at these details and how it works together, you see the relationship between God's question in Genesis 3-9, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Then you see the, the setup of the garden of Adam and Eve, how they didn't fully understand or appreciate how desperately they needed God and neither do we. And then the laws given to us to help us learn this really difficult but necessary lesson how much we really do need God. Because look at Galatians 4.4. 4. There's a very important word there. But God. When God's time was perfect. You see that verse? Galatians 4.4 4 is a tremendous verse. But when the fullness of the time had come, in other words, exactly when God said, all part of His plan, didn't catch Him sleeping, not a backup, this was the plan. When the fullness of the time came, what, did, what, did, what happened? God sent forth His Son on a rescue mission, on a mission that only He could do that all of us need. The rescue mission that would show the world this is what life was supposed to be like. Perfect peace and harmony and relationship with God. Obedience all the time. Joy in His heart. And then, just to show you, in case you didn't pick it all up from the life that Christ lived while He was on earth, He then went to the cross and showed this is the death that you deserve. And By, by the way, I'm going to take it for you. I'm going to stand in your place even though I don't deserve to because I lived the life and now I'm going to die the death. God had determined beforehand the exact time, just like the day that the guardian turns over the inheritance to the heir is set, the day and the time and the circumstance and everything of Jesus coming to earth, living this life, dying this death, it was all set out by God. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. God's Son was born of a woman because He subjected Himself to the plight of humanity. God's Son was born under the law so he would subject himself to the same law that he gave us to fulfill. And by the way, if, if this is not clear enough for you, you might want to write down Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. If you want to see what Jesus did, you remember what Paul said there when he wrote this letter to this church? Although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or exerted, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being found made in the likeness of men. So being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what he did. That's how he 
rescued us. Because Galatians 4.4 4 says that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Verse 5 says why He did it. Look at verse 5. So that. So that what? He would redeem those, listen, under the law. That's us. See, you know why that, that picture in the words is given like that? Under the law. You know why? Because the law is a burden. And you're under it. And you're sinking down under the weight of it because you can't do it. And guess what? Isn't that a fine thing to figure out? It was never meant for you to be able to do it. It was meant for you to learn the lesson that you can't do it. And guess what happens when you realize you can't do it? You're supposed to cry out to Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus did it already. The lesson we have to learn, not just at Christmas, how you get rescued, how you get rescued from your sin, how you get redeemed from your bondage, you, you cry out to Jesus. Isn't that what we're celebrating? We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. Why was he born? So he could die. He was born to live a life that we couldn't live. He was born to die a death. We're supposed to die. He was born to do all that. So we can learn some very tough lessons. We can't, we can't fix our sin. We can't keep the law. We can't do what we need to do to get reconciled to God without or apart from Jesus. Jesus was not, Jesus is not just a good idea. He's the only idea. He's not just a good plan or a, a good moral teacher or a, a nice set of religious principles. Jesus is God Almighty. We, we, can't, we can't say this enough. We've got to get this through our head into our heart. Don't you understand that? If, you, if it stops here, it doesn't matter. I know a lot of stuff. I've learned a lot of stuff over the years. It doesn't change my life. Two plus two has never brought me to tears. You know? Correcting people's grammar silently on the internet does not bring me joy. Well, yeah, it does a little bit. A little bit. The point is, you can know some stuff, but it doesn't change your life. It's got to go from here to here. We have got to get a hold of this notion, this truth. Jesus Christ isn't just a teacher, not just a prophet, not just a man. He's God in the flesh come to earth to save his people. He's the Messiah. He's the Redeemer. He is the only source of salvation and forgiveness. That's who Jesus is. So when we read the Scripture and we see that he did all this when God said to do it, but God, at the fullness of time, sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. 
So just to review, God determined the right time. God sent forth His Son. God determined the conditions of His birth. God sent forth the Spirit of His Son. God redeemed us through His Son. And so we receive adoption as, sin, as sons. And, and then, just so we don't miss this, you might be asking, well, don't we play a part in this process? Yes, we do. We sin. We sin. So that, that was our contribution to our salvation. We sin. And we made it necessary. So don't think we didn't, you know, didn't chip in. We, we sin against God. So let's, let's just close this way. That um, verses 6 and 7 talk about uh, because we are children of God, because we're sons and daughters, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Such a, a, a very intimate term for, for Father, Abba, Father. And therefore you're no longer a slave but a son. If a son, then an heir through God. But I want to just finish up here and focus on verse 5. Verse 5 has the, um, the benefits of what God did. Two purpose statements. So that He would redeem those under the law, which is us, and then so that we would receive adoption as sons. And I just want to close with this picture. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but I, I want you to think, if, if anybody in here is adopted, I want you to, I want you to and, and everybody picture this, but if, if you're adopted, you, I want you to, I, gosh, you, you, you can experience this at such a, a much deeper level than anyone else. Because let me just tell you, I didn't choose my parents. I didn't choose my sister. She didn't choose me. <laughs> okay. But adoption is so much different. Because adoption is a choice. It's a, uh, an, intentional, uh, an intentional, loving, caring, desire, choice. It's, it's different. So... I said I didn't choose my parents. I didn't choose my sister. She didn't choose me. Well, my parents didn't choose me either. It was just like, roll the dice. Hope we get a good one. <laughs> they didn't, but I've, you know, I've worked on that. Okay. Adoption's not like that. We don't, we don't choose our children. Adoption is a choice. And I can't, I can't say that strongly enough because the text is very clear and distinct. When God sent His Son to this world, He did so with purpose, according to a plan, at a particular time, in a particular way. And verse 5, Galatians 4, 5 says, so that he might redeem those under the law, save us, and so we would receive 
adoption as sons. You know what that means? Have you put the pieces together? It's as if God was at a heavenly adoption agency. And he's looking down at you. You see where this is going? I want that one. I want you. God looks at you, not just at Christmas. God looks at you in your sin, in your disobedience, in your rebellion, in all the ugliness of your heart and mind. And he looks at me and he says, I want you in my family. That, that's, that ought to just wreck us. That, I just can't imagine anybody, let alone God, looking at me and saying, I want you. That does not make good sense because, man, I am messed up. You don't know. None of you knows. None of you knows what my heart looks like. God does. And He chose me anyway. And He did you too. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.